Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, we are wrapping up the New Testament in 90 days. So this is the last week. We got the book of Revelation out ahead of us. Uh, feel free to email me all of the questions that you have about that, and I will respond. I don't know. I don't know. Who's the person riding on the dragon thing? I, I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Is there a timeline for how? Nope, I have no idea. As somebody smarter than me. However, today we're not going to look at the book of Revelation. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so I want to encourage you, if you uh, haven't uh, been a part of this um, reading that we've done, um, man, you still, you've got the book of Revelation. There's a special blessing, it says, when we read it. So I want to encourage you to do that. Today, though, we're going to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's Palm Sunday. As Frank mentioned, um, the way that this works is that Jesus entered Jerusalem in the last week of his earthly life uh, on Palm Sunday. And there was a big crowd, uh, people shouting Hosanna, people laying down their coats. Um, he, uh, there were palm branches, all of this kind of stuff. And he rode in on a donkey humbly. It was a procession for a king. But he came humbly. And that Sunday turned into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And Thursday evening, he gathered with his disciples in a room and had the Lord's Supper. And on Friday, uh, he went um, to the cross. And so uh, this is how this week ends. And I want to focus on that Friday event today in First Timothy um, chapter 2. If you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to follow along with our live event. If you want a Bible that you can actually stick in your lap, uh, we've got some in the back back there. Feel free to take it with you. In First Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. I just want to pause for just a second and say when Paul uses the phrase all people, he's specifically pointing to all kinds of people. Like that, that's the way that he's using all people. I want you to be praying for all types. And then in verse two, he's kind of outlines some of the folks he wants us to be praying for, for Kings and all types who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior who desires all people. There it is again, all kinds of folks uh, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I want to just highlight three things here from the text. Um, thinking about the cross, and uh, the, the first one is, is there is a desire that God has that underlies our prayers. So uh, back in verse 1, uh, he wants us to pray, and man, Paul like pulls out the entire dictionary. He wants, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Let's get it all out there, okay? I want all of this stuff. If you've got it, that's how I want you praying. I don't care what you call it, let's pray. That's kind of his thing. And then he says specifically, I want you to be praying for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. This, this, this kind of praying is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. So a pleasing prayer. Here's the prayer part. Uh, a pleasing prayer for leaders and for quiet lives. I'm going to pray for those who are responsible for us. Pray for those who have a leadership role. Pray for those who um, ha have some God-given, uh, ordained responsibility for leading society, for leading culture, for leading government. For le I want to pray uh, for these kind of people. And what's the prayer? That basically, I mean, that they would leave us alone and let us do what God wants us to do. For peaceful, quiet lives. So that the gospel can go forth. And ju just in case... You're kind of wondering, I'm not sure why that's important or why this 
looks the way that it does. Um, Paul is, uh, okay, so Paul wrote second, or excuse me, 1 Timothy about 62, 63 A.D., uh, anybody know who the um, Caesar, the ruling, the ruler of the empire was in 62, 63 AD? You just got Roman history right there. You're about to win Jeopardy right here on this question. Anybody? Nero. You heard of him? All right, good guy or bad guy? Everybody? Bad guy. You know this because none of your kids are named Nero, right? I mean, that's how you know. So in this particular case, Nero, man, the, the, guy, was, the guy was a nutcase, uh, ended up burning down a good portion of Rome, blamed the Christians on it, had all sorts of problems in addition to a hundred other things. He's saying this, Paul is saying this, I want prayers to be made for all kinds of people, including Nero, that he would leave us alone and let us live peaceful and quiet lives. The reason Paul prayed that way is because only God could let that be the case. Only God, not, not, not Nero, only God, not anybody in a governmental position, only God. Are we getting any closer? We coming out of the first century and into the 21st? Not anybody but God. This is how he wants us to pray. And here's his desire. Look in verse three. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior. When we pray this way for our leaders and for them to uh, let us live as God desires. Verse four who desires all people, and again, that phrase, all types, all types of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. His desire, and I think I made this word up, his desire is a multi-type, a multi-type salvation. He wants all kinds. He wants all sorts. Um, If you grew up around church, he wants to bring salvation to your type. If you, this is your very first time in a church and the only reason you came is because you had a friend who's getting a a kid dedicated. You're like, boy, I've never seen something like that happen. Uh, Guess what? He wants you also. From the folks who are the most respected to the folks who are not so much. Um, To the the folks who uh, grew up uh, in and around religion. uh, To the folks who, they've never met religion. He wants um, all types. And the, the reason I say it that way is because th- there's a particular uh, way that we, um, that we typically do this. And so I, I, need a little, I need a little help up here. I, I need four volunteers with at least one of them being a kid. Four volunteers. Come on. Come on, Josiah. Come on. Come on. One, one of you Lubecks. It doesn't matter. Come on. Uh, let's see. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And one more. One more. One more. One more. One more. Curtis Ramsey. Okay. Fantastic. Come on up, Curtis. Thanks so much for volunteering. Y'all look like a band waiting to happen. I mean, this is awesome. Okay, so this is typically the way that we do this. We put people on a scale here. On a, on a thing. We, we got good people. Is he behaving himself back there? <laughs> it's dangerous when you turn your back on one of your deacons. Uh, it's Just kidding. We got good people and we got bad people. This is how we locate them, right? This is how we basically view the world. And so I'll just give you an example uh, of this. Here, I'm going to give you this in here. Step up here, right up here. Now, this is a crowd participation moment, everybody. Um, Everybody either point this way towards the bad people or this way towards the good people. He is going to follow your direction in locating this person. Do you know know who this is? Joe Biden. Nope, that's Vladimir. (laughs) That's Vladimir Putin. This works a lot better in my office than it does on stage. Here you go, hold that. He is, he is a world leader. Wait, you've got to turn it around so that they see it. It is indeed Vladimir Putin. Uh, yeah, I mean, not even I would bring up politics like that. It's cool. 
Okay, here we are. Good people. This illustration is going great. People, stick with me. You're doing great. You're doing fantastic. Everybody, good people, bad people, how are we locating it? Okay, so follow their direction. Follow, yeah, no, keep going. Keep going. Like, move. Move your body. Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. Did some of them stop you? No. All right, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, right there. Yeah, be careful. That's a speaker over there. You don't want to fumble, fall on it. Okay, uh, here. Josiah's next here. Josiah's next. Do you know who this is? It, it, it is not Neil Armstrong. It's Mother Teresa. Maybe your guessing skills are not quite up to speed here, but this is Mother Teresa. Okay, so Mother Teresa, everybody direct Josiah. No, stay over there. You got to stay. You got to stay. Okay, still following directions, Josiah. Still following directions. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Great, 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 great. Okay, Curtis, come here. Okay, a little bit more complicated here. This is Will Smith, everybody, just in case you're wondering. Uh, this is... The 8.30 service was way calmer than y'all, okay? This worked great in the 8.30 service, people. Okay, Will Smith, let's follow directions. Oh, oh, yeah. See, it's a lot more complicated. Like, maybe shift this one spot. Okay, one more. One more right here. Oh, I don't know how this happened. Look, it, it's, a, it's a picture of Frank Aragon, everybody. I don't know how that got in here. All right, now follow directions. See what they tell you. Oh, look, look. They want you to go that way. Wait, I... Hey, I'm not so sure. I work with him. Are you sure that far? Okay. Everybody just pause for a moment. I mean, you're right there next to Mother Teresa, Frank, wherever you went. That's fantastic. Listen, this is how we view the world. And it's how we categorize. It's how we um, put people in a place. And when Paul comes along to us and says, God wants to bring a multi-type salvation... And the main reason I point this out is because this is how we view the world, but as so often is the case, this is not how God views the world. Let me, let me, I'll collect these guys. Let them off the stage, everybody. Give them a hand. Y'all are fantastic. Thanks for being good sports. I appreciate that. This, this is how God views the world. There is a certain dividing line, but there are, there are people who do not know God and are outside of the kingdom. They are disconnected from a relationship with God. And then there are people who do. It, it's not on a continuum. It's on, a, it's on one side of the line or the other. And what is the line of demarcation? What is the thing that sets one apart from the other? And that is the blood of Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. They receive Jesus. And because of that, then, they are moved, Paul says in Colossians, out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is how God views the world. So when Paul comes along and says, he desires all types to be saved. You and I think about it on a continuum. He's looking at it one side or, or the other. And he wants to see people come to know who Jesus is. And so he says specifically, um, who desires all people to be safe and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
to come to a knowledge of the truth. And the reason, I want to pause for just a second and point this out. This is one of the places, there are other places throughout the the New Testament where uh, the writers give us kind of a a summary of the gospel. And the reason why I think that's important is because some people say, you know, um, you got this, or you got this, or just follow Jesus and everything will be all right. No, no, there is a content to the gospel. And that content is made up of propositional statements, like truths. To come to a knowledge of the truth. To, um, that, that, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Um, this is what I'm passing along to you. It was delivered to me, and it is of first importance, Paul says, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised according to the Scriptures. So you, you want to talk to Paul about what is the gospel. You just want to follow Jesus? Yes. But the Jesus we follow is the Jesus who died and was buried and was raised. Uh, the gospel has a content it is, a, it is a, we come to a knowledge of the truth, a set of propositions that are set inside of the story of God's redemptive work through Jesus. So, um, he, I guess I, just, before we run away from that, um, in our day and in our age where people talk about a journey and they talk about a story, all of that's true. But there are some things, man, there are some struts, if you will, some structural pieces that make the story make sense. And in this particular case, When we talk about the story of God's redemptive work, it is that Jesus has died, Jesus has been buried, and that Jesus has risen again. That's the structure that holds this thing together. Okay, so there is a content. Uh, Let's look at how Paul does content here in verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, um, Christ Jesus. So here's, here's content related to the identity of God. Already, he says that he is our Savior. Um, God, he, this is good, verse 3. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. So we know that God is moving toward us. That's good news. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We'll talk more about this in just a second. But we don't have to like, dress ourselves up. God is moving toward us. He is God, our Savior. And he says in verse 5, there is one God. There is one God. Don't depend on other gods. In Paul's particular day, that meant something very specific. Because Nero, um, the... Um, the Caesar of the time, they all believed that he was God. That was part of the kind of cultural norm of um, the Roman Empire in the first century. Whoever the Caesar is, that's a God. And so Paul's saying, no, no, there's one God. And it ain't the guy who's in, allegedly in charge of the place where we're living. There's one God. We don't need any other gods. There's one God. We don't need a bunch of other saviors. There's one God. Just one. There's one God. There's no others. And then secondly, look how there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I want to kind of break that down, that mediator thing. Mediator. And look at how he describes him. The man. Let's start there. The man. When it comes to this, the man, meaning he is like us. Jesus came in the flesh. According to Hebrews chapter 2, it was necessary for him to come into the flesh, come in the flesh, so that he could save people who are like you and me. Jesus stepped into our world. He came um, as a human in order to save humans. He wasn't calling out from a distance. He wasn't sending somebody. He came as a man, like one of us, that he would actually be able then to rescue us. That's how the Bible talks about this. He didn't just set a plan in motion. He came himself, the man. And because he came, he is able then um, to save us. And then he says next, the man, Christ. 
Now, um, Christ is a Greek word that takes the Hebrew word Messiah. Some people think, and I don't mean this bad, some people think that Christ is like Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. It's a title. It's a title. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the chosen one. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. That's how the Bible describes this, okay? And so Christ, the Messiah, this is the chosen servant used by God to accomplish his redemptive plan. And all throughout the Bible, you start in Genesis chapter 3, there's a serpent who's going to strike the heel of this one, but he will crush the serpent's head. And then you just carry it through Genesis 22, Genesis 50, Exodus 3, Exodus 14, and you just keep on trucking all the way through. You get through the Psalms, you get through the prophets, you've got the suffering servant in Isaiah, and on and on and on. You have all of these different pictures, of the, and they're all pointers. All of these pictures are signs, pointers. They're saying, hey, don't forget, there's a Messiah coming. Don't forget, there's a chosen one on the way. Don't forget, God is still at work. The redemptive work of God hasn't been thrown off or delayed. He's still got his plan. He's still got his timetable. He's still working it out. He is going to bring the Messiah. Boom. Jesus shows up on the scene. The Messiah is here. The man, Christ, Jesus. And the reason I think that's important that Paul included that here is because what that reminds us is this is a real name of a real man who lived at a real time in a real place with a real family and a real history. This isn't made up. Nobody's spun this up. Nobody's created this out of the air. Nobody has moved or, or, or shaped or just, you know, oh, well, you know, 500 years later they found this. No, no, no. We've got testimony. Eyewitness testimony of the reality of this person, the historical Jesus. Now, back to this word. There's one God and one mediator between God and, man, and men, the man Christ Jesus. Mediator. That, that word in the Greek is mesetes. Um, not that that's uniquely interesting, but um, here, here's how uh, people have described it as they've translated this word into English. Umpire. Not Major League Baseball, you know, miss the balls and strikes umpire, but legitimate person who's calling it. A negotiator of peace. Uh, someone who is trusted by both parties. And this is the one that got me. The guarantor of the agreement, who then becomes the arbiter or judge of that agreement. So the one who stood between the two parties. Here I am in the middle, the mediator. And I'm looking at both parties saying, based on my life, my word, my work, I am guaranteeing this agreement. And now I am the judge. I am the executor, if you will, of this agreement. And that's who Jesus is. He has stood between God and man. And he is um, guaranteeing that the promises that God made to us and the forgiveness that God offers to us then is legitimate. And he is the one who is the, the arbiter of that, the judge of that. He is the one who is going to make sure that it goes through. That is the identity of the God who is our Savior. And then verse 6, the action, the content of the gospel says there's one God and one mediator and the action of that mediator is this who gave himself let's start there who gave himself he didn't send someone else he didn't offer up a different sacrifice he gave himself when John said he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he himself was good Jesus is going to be the one 
who is sacrificed. And if you want to know the level to which Jesus is all in on this thing, I just want to remind you that, that um, this week as it unfolded, I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all sorts of things, teachings uh, and encounters there as we understand uh, the timeline of the Gospels, all sorts of stuff happened. Thursday, things start getting real serious. Gathered his disciples in a room, instituted the Lord's Supper. Thursday night, goes out, knowing he's going to be betrayed by one of them. Goes out to the garden, gathers some people. Let's pray, man. Let's pray. Stay here and pray. I'm going to go over here. And the stress on him, he moved away and fell down on his knees. Every other time you see Jesus praying, he lifts his face to the heavens and thanks God. In this moment, he falls to his knees. And the stress is so much that apparently, by all accounts, medical people's like capillaries break and, and it, it looks like he's sweating blood. That's the level of stress. And then he endures all of that night and all of the sham trials, injustice, and all of the physical torture and beatings and ultimately dies on a Roman cross at the hands of professional executioners. He gave him, he's all in on that. But I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think it was just the physical stuff that he was enduring that had him on his face. I think he was thinking about the moment when he would take on the sin of humanity. And in a moment, all he had known was the favor of God. And then in that moment, he would know the wrath to pay for that sin. He gave himself. He gave himself. And how does he describe it? As a ransom. As a ransom. This is the means of affecting freedom for someone else. It's not paid to Satan. It's not paid to us. It's not paid to the universe. It is the, the justice of God demanded a payment. The justice of God demanded a payment. And listen, church family, we want it this way. Now, help us here. Like, I want justice in the world. I want mercy for me, but I want justice in the world. Who's with me? Yeah, I want mercy for me, but justice for all you people. But the truth is, is that if we had a God who would just kind of lift up the corner of the rug and sweep the stuff underneath there, sweep my sin underneath there, this would not be right. There would not be justice in the world. I think, church family, when we see some of the reports coming out of some of the places in the world and atrocities that are being committed by some people, I think we ought to look around and say, that ain't right. I, I think we ought to feel that. We ought to feel a sense of justice. When I talked to my friend last night and uh, uh, a person very close to them, um, young, just terrible, comes down with cancer. And you're like, this is not how the world is supposed to work. When, when uh, things happen in your world that are disconnected and you're just like, this ain't right. We ought to embrace that and say, this is a sense that justice needs to be done in this world. And church family, it ain't going to come from anywhere else other than God. We can trust him, though, to be just. Justice demanded a payment for sin, and we want it this way. We want it this way. The good news is, although we couldn't pay it, somebody stepped in to do so. I, I know that we've done this in here before, but I want to bring it up again. These are our scales, right? And this is how we view our life. Um, I, I'm kind of here, and then, oh, man, I did some bad things. Well, maybe it was a really bad day, right? But huh, I got good news. I can do some good things and it'll balance it out, right? No, it won't. If you think that, then what you have is a misunderstanding of just how bad it actually is. 
Because this, this thing that we call sin, that the Bible calls sin, is an infinite offense against the infinite glory of the infinite value of the infinite God. Therefore, my little finite action is not going to level it out. And even if, let's just pretend for a moment that your action and my action could move the needle a little bit. Do you really think you got enough good in you to tip it in your favor? This is why Jesus had to come. The Bible says, that, uh, that it's a big Bible word. It's the word propitiation. And what it means is two things. Number one, Jesus carries our sin. And because he carries our sin um, on the cross there, when he dies, he pays for it. I don't have to pay for it anymore. I couldn't have been, I mean, if I wanted to. He takes our sin and he pays for it. But more than that, he purchases favor for God so that now no longer are we disconnected from God, but we are God's children. No longer are we um, unrighteous before God. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus. He not only evens the scale for us, he not only pays the debt that we owed, and then he doesn't just leave us to it. Oh, good luck. Hang in there. Don't do any more bad. It'll tip back over. He not only pays the debt for us, but he purchases favor with God. There is a kind, there's a kind of life that you and I can live in where because we put our faith in Jesus, because we believe in what he has done for us, we believe in how he has been at work, we believe in how he has accomplished the things that he has promised to us, we can live with the favor of God on our life because of what Jesus has done. And he says, he gave himself as a ransom for all, for all, there it is again, all types, for all types. What that means is no person, no person is beyond this redemption. No person is too far gone such that God can't rescue them. There is not a person in the world that you know or I know or that it exists who is so far beyond the pale that Jesus death cannot atone for their sins. Folks, you don't carry a sin big enough that Jesus cannot forgive. I sat this week with one of our people came by. It's a question I get reasonably often. Came by, we were visiting. Question came out, hey, what if a particular kind of sinner walked into this gathering right here on a Sunday morning? I said, well, that's not my favorite kind of sin, so let's quit talking about them. Let's talk about me. What if the kind of sins that I really like, what if those kind of people walked in? What would we need? What would we need to do? We would need to tell them the good news that Jesus is in the business of purchasing forgiveness and favor with God over their life. It's not... Again, we're not talking about that kind of sin. That's not my sin. We're talking about my sin. It's not, hey, I need to be a little bit less of a sinner and then come in and Jesus will do some stuff for me. 
No, 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 no. When I'm talking about my sin, I need help not only with the forgiveness part, but also with the transformation part. And I can entrust Jesus to um, transform me and my sin and the stuff that I really love that I shouldn't love. Like I can trust to do that. So if a person of a different kind of sin, kind of the sin that we've been talking about here or the sin over there that we haven't talked about yet or that sin over there, if they walk in, guess what? We're not going to say, please moralize yourself just a little bit. So that Jesus can forgive your sin. We can trust him on his timetable at his moment to reveal himself to them. And then to take them from this place to this place right here. And we can trust him to do the work that he will do in them. To bring them into right relationship with him. And then to change them and transform them so that they begin to look just like him. This is what the gospel does. He gives us not only forgiveness... But he purchased favor with God. And so I, we looked at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a whole list of sins there. There's some good ones. I mean, really good ones. And then it says, and such were some of you. Because there's a past tense to that. And so the question is, well, I mean, if, if sinners walk in the room, they did. That's you. If sinners walk in, you're sitting next to one. If sinners walk in the room, what do they need? They need the forgiveness that comes from Jesus and the righteousness that he offers because of his life and death and resurrection. All kinds of people need that. All kinds. Such that you and I have the testimony. The testimony given at the proper time is this. And such were some of you. But we have been washed and sanctified and transformed by his amazing life. You and I, we walked in one place at one point. Out different people because of the work of Jesus in our in our world, and we have a testimony to give. We have a story to tell. We have a, a message to share. And what is that message? That Jesus is in the business of taking people from here to here. He is in the business of taking sinners and making them into sons and daughters. He is take in the business of taking people who were far off and bringing them near. How by their morals? No, but by His blood. That's how He does it. That's the message. That is the testimony given. At the proper time. This is the story of the cross. And it's bloody and horrifying and liberating and amazing. The old rugged cross really does get traded in at some point for something beyond belief. So if you're a Christian in here, I just want to say to you I mean, you don't get any better than this. Like, here's the cross. You, you and I. Walked into a place at one point, sinners, and we walked out a son or a daughter of God. You and I walked into a place, a wreck, and God has started the process. Maybe he's not very far along yet. Maybe he's still working on the same spot over and over and over. But we walked into a place, one thing, and and God's been at work to bring us, to make us something else. If you're a Christian, this is the place where you just go, so good. Thank you, God. If you're not a Christian in here, I, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus today. You, you would give your life to Christ today because you walked in here carrying a burden.
that he is willing to bear for you. You walked in here with a kind of sin and shame that he is willing to take from you. If you will put your trust in Christ and what he has done, you don't have to clean yourself up. doesn't matter your particular version of sin. He's taken them all. You don't have a sin big enough that he won't take, and he will give you not only forgiveness but right standing with God. You can do that today. If you, if you want to do that, we'll pray in just a moment, and you can just say that out loud to God. God, I've given my life to you. I believe in what Jesus has done, and I want him to come in and take over. Use that little communication card in front of you. Write your name down, phone number, email, whatever, however you want us to contact you. We will follow up with you this week and say, man, tell me about the things that God is doing in your life. Let's pray together, and then you, we'll have a moment to respond. You can um, do so as well. So, Father, we're here now, and... Um, This is that moment where we entrust ourselves to you and trust that by your Holy Spirit that you will go to work and do the things in us that we need doing. Not the things that we think we want you to do, but the things that actually need doing. So over this gathered body, brothers and sisters, friends, family, people who've been walking with you for a long time and people who haven't started that yet, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would drive the seed that has been scattered here deep down into our souls so that we bear fruit. Don't let the enemy take it away. Don't let the worries of the world choke it out. Don't let whatever hardships may arise cause it to shrivel. Let it grow and let it bear fruit. And if there's a person in here today, a person watching online today who doesn't know you, I pray that through this, like Jeremiah says, these cords of love, you draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. This is what I offer now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.